welcome to the Joyfully Raising Grands podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lee. Today, we are excited to have Pascal Brady with us. She is a CPCC, PCC, MBA, founder and president of Global Life Coaching and is the challenge coach. Pascal is a professional certified life, business, and mentor coach, a consultant, and a trainer speaker with over 30 years of professional experience, both in the corporate world and as an entrepreneur. After 12 years as an international sales and marketing executive, Pascal was certified as a coach with CTI and founded her company, Global Life Coaching, in 2005. In addition to coaching, Pascal is an intercultural trainer, a certified Adlerian parent educator, a wellness mindfulness trainer, and a sought-after speaker, especially on the topics of courage and resilience. She is French, German, American, Adlerian, and works fluently in all four languages. Pascal is also a widow and the proud mom of two young adult women. Pascal is passionate about helping her clients transform their challenges into growth and success because pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Pascal's purpose is simple. She wants to help people transform their challenges into growth and success. Pascal, thank you so much for being here. I want to just welcome you. And if you can introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, what your background is, and we'll go from there. I'm Pascal Brady. I am the challenge coach. So I'm a life and business coach. I've been in business for 17 years um, and I help my clients transform their challenges into growth and success. And what that means is really I help my clients get through really tough, challenging situations, life situations, whatever that might be, relationship, parenting, health, grief, et cetera, and get through them without, you know, collapsing and come out on the other side, stronger, bigger, better, more capable of, you know, crossing the next challenging time and, and also, you know, more encouraged and, and better off and in a better place. That's what I do during my daytime. And I came to do that by uh, actually strangely taking parent education classes 20 years ago when I had my kids. So my kids are not 20, 20 and 23. I'm not a grandmother yet. I, when I had my kids, I thought I was going to be a fantastic mom because I had wanted kids. I was an old mom and I had wanted kids for a very long time. And then they came out of me and then I turned out I was a horrible mom, or at least so I thought. <laughs> and uh, my friends told me about this parent education place, which is in, in Kensington, Maryland, called PEP, the Parent Encouragement Program. And I fell head over heels in love with the program. So I took the classes many, many times until my husband finally said, how many times do you need to take those classes? Like, really? <laughs> so then I, the only way for me to continue was to actually become a parent educator there. So now I've been teaching all the workshops and the classes for over 15 years, 17, 18 years. I don't know who's counting. Um, so I do that. And that's kind of like during my free time. It's more volunteer work than it is anything else. But I became a life and business coach as a result of taking these classes because there is a psychology that underpins the classes, which is the psychology of Alfred Adler. And he's, a, he's considered the grandfather of modern psychotherapy and coaching. And everything that he teaches, and that's what I'd love to share with you today and with your listeners, everything that he teaches is based and that's why it's called a parent encouragement program because parents and grandparents need encouragement too everything is based in courage and strength and positive outlook and positivity and so I that's why I fell in love with the program it entirely changed the way I I did parenting it entirely changed my relationship to my husband and it changed my career and it made me become a life coach so I was just thinking maybe you know I'd love to 
listen to your questions and, and do whatever is of service, but I'd love to share maybe a few of those basic parenting principles that I think you, your audience might, might be able to benefit from. And then also the whole idea about how do you get through challenges on staying positive and staying, you know, how, like, you, like you like to say, how do you find the joy and how do you bring joy back and how to go through life with a smile on your face versus in drudgery? Absolutely. We'd love that. Please feel free. Okay, so just a few of those basic Adlerian principles, which are so basic. That's why Adler isn't really, Freud is known, you know, Jung is known, no, nobody knows about Adler because Adler was very modest and he was really busy about, busy doing the work versus talking about himself. But, but mostly it's not known because it is so basic and so simple. So the first principle is that every one of us wants one thing more than anything else. And that is, we want a sense of belonging. We want to feel like we belong to a group. And how do we get that sense of belonging? We get it by feeling like we matter, like we are significant, like we count, like our presence makes a difference. And that is true for every single human being on the planet. And that is also true of our children, right? So understanding that whatever the kid is doing at home, whatever the kid is doing is based in this wanting to feel significant, to feel like I matter. So that's the first principle. The second principle is that please don't laugh at me because that really sounds silly, right? We do well when we feel good. Conversely, we don't do well when we don't feel good. Therefore, a misbehaving person, including a misbehaving child, is somebody who is utterly discouraged. Because they, they, if they felt great, they would do great. If they, if they feel, if they do bad, if they misbehave, that means they feel rotten. They don't feel good, right? So a misbehaving child, a child who's just getting in your way and being a pain and, and, and sucking the joy out of your life of you who are raising the child is a child who's discouraged, right? And so we're going to talk about how you, how you give them encouragement. So a child wants to be significant and feel important, feel that they matter. And if they misbehave, it's because they are discouraged and they don't feel good about stuff, right? Uh, and so therefore, that's, that's it. That's my principles here. Therefore, in order to make people do better, in order to bring back joy, in order to have harmonious family living, um, you want to have people feel encouraged. You want to bring back encouragement in the family, right? So that's easier said than done, I understand. And that's all we teach at PEP at those parenting classes. We teach about how do you bring back encouragement to folks. And that's really hard because if you are, like you've explained to me, a lot of your audience are grandparents raising kids, right? Not something they signed up for. I'm going to tell you a little personal story. It's not the same, but uh, I am French from France, from Paris. I made my husband, who's 20 years older, through work, and he was an American. So I gave up my life in Europe, and I Across the Atlantic to be with my 20 year old older husband. And then, you know, how many years into our relationship, 15, 16 years into our relationship, he got cancer. We had two kids who were seven and 10 at the seven and nine at the time. And then three years later, he died of cancer. And then I was a widow and I had a kids who kid, two kids who were 10 and 12. I didn't sign up for that either. You know, it's not the grandparenting story, but it's kind of similar. I didn't sign up for that. And so then I had two choices. I could have chosen to just like go under the covers under my bed and, in, and stay in my bed and say, you know, I don't want to do this life anymore. It's not what I signed up for. I'm I don't I'm not interested in showing up for for it anymore. 
Or I could decide, which is kind of what I decided. I didn't know it was a choice at the time. I felt like I didn't have a choice, but to get out of that, because I had those two kids and I had a house that I needed to, and I had to go earn money and I had to survive somehow for those kids, right? And, and then I had a second choice, which is that I could do it crying and whining and kicking and screaming and saying, that's not fair. It's not fair. It's not what I signed up for. It's not what I wanted. And I hate this. And why me? And why me? And woo me, poor me. Or I could decide, okay, I'm just going to suck this up. This sucks, but I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm going to do it anyway. And I kind of have a responsibility to those kids to try to make, you know, to try to be the best I can be. I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional to try to be the best I can be so that they, you know, it's tough enough on them. They didn't choose this situation. It's not their fault. They didn't ask for this. If you had told them that whatever was going to happen was going to happen to them, they probably would have said, no, thank you. I'm not going to be born. I'm not interested in being in this life. This is not what a kid wants, right? And so they didn't have a choice and a say in the matter. And so it's kind of like my responsibility to be as positive as, as I can possibly muster the courage to be so that, right? So I'm telling you this just to, to let you not, not for people to feel sorry for me, but just to know, you know, life is just a bear. You know, we, we don't sign up for everything that happens to us in life. And don't think that, you know, my story or your story as grandparents of, of grandchildren and raising grandchildren, life just happens and life is hard for the most part, for most everyone, everyone has a story. I know this as, a, as the challenge coach. And so we, again, we have a choice, you know, how do we choose to deal with it? Do we choose to, to, to bitch and pardon my French, I can say that because I'm French. Do we choose to bitch and moan about this? Or do we, do we decide to put on the smile, even if it's fake and, and make the most of it, right? And try to really get through this. And again, we have a responsibility towards these kids. They didn't ask for this. How can we make the experience for them and therefore for ourselves better. Because if we, if I feel better, then this child is gonna feel better. If this child feels better, then I'm gonna feel better. And the day is just gonna be better at the end of the day. You know what I mean? 100%. I appreciate you sharing that story. You know, although it's not the, the same instance, the, the hurt and the challenge is 100% the same. And life is what we make it. You know, we all deal with incredibly tough situations. And as I mentioned to you earlier, when I started this journey, I found incredibly negative people who really just wanted to live there. And that's not at all what I wanted and certainly not what I wanted for my granddaughter. You know, I often think I've, I've, I've often heard that quotes like, what do you, um, what are you going to look back on when you're in your, you're about to get in your grave. You're like falling sideways in your grave. You're dying. Right. And you look back at your life. What do you want to look back on? Do you want to look back? Do you want to say, Oh, geez, I wish I had complained more. You know, I wish I had what, you know, if I had just whined enough, maybe things would have changed. Or do you want to look back and have a sense of pride and dignity that you did the best you could, that you really put your best foot forward every single day. And, and you failed. Most of the time we fail. We're human. It's hard, you know, but but, but we can try every day. And that's the, the other thing about Adlerian psychology is he says everything can always be different. And we have to have the courage to be imperfect. It takes courage to be imperfect. It, can, it takes courage to take stock when you go to bed at night and look at your day and say, oh, whoa, this was not a good one. I did not shine today. I lost it. I screamed at those kids. I whined to my friend. I you know, went through the day with a headache and I complained about it all day long. And so it takes courage to look at that, take stock of it and acknowledge it and say, okay, pat on the back, patting myself on the back. 
this was not my best self today. The good news is I'm going to sleep on it. And tomorrow morning, I get another chance. Tomorrow morning can be different. I can wake up and I can choose different. And I'm going to, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try to be better tomorrow, right? Having grace with oneself, I think, is the best gift uh, in these circumstances sometimes. Do you want to dig into any of the specifics? How do we, how do we make, what efforts do we take? What do we do day by day to help these kids feel like they matter, to help them feel good? Such a good question. Thank you for asking. (laughs) That is the best question you could possibly ask. Um, So how do we help those kids feel encouraged and feel like they matter? Um, there is two, two things. There is the pure encouragement techniques, and there's two that I'm going to tell you that are very simple, yet not easy to implement, but really, really simple. The one thing is verbal encouragement. And you can use this with your kids and you can use this with your spouses and your coworkers and everybody. So verbal encouragement is this. You become a talking mirror of what you see the other person do without any judgment attached to it. So the kid gets up in the morning. So I know you've got a, is it okay to talk about your? Of course. Your audience knows about your, so you've got (laughs) a, you've got a a grandchild, right? I do. uh, See, I saw as you got out this morning without my help. Wow. You helped me prepare breakfast. Thank you. Um, You didn't forget to put your papers in your bag. You're ready for school. Give me five. Right. Or she, um, she comes home at the end of the day. I know you hate doing math. You hate doing math, but you stuck with it. You spent 20 minutes on this problem. You haven't solved it, but you spent 20 minutes on it. You really tried hard. Give me five. Go for you. Go for, you know, good for you. You're persistent. So do you see, I'm not saying I love that, or I'm proud of you that, or you're awesome because that's too general and effusive. You want to give kids news they can use. You want to constantly mirror back to them everything that they're doing that is not an imminent catastrophe, right? You got up, you did your homework, you put your shoes on, you, you said, thank you. Thank you for saying, thank you. You helped me bring the bags in, Uh, you know, it was so nice that you played with your sibling without, without fighting today. So constantly noticing what is happening and what is working, because when you're mirroring this back to them, again, without judgment, this has nothing to do with you approval or disapproval. This has nothing. This is just planting the little seeds inside of your, inside of the kids so that they can start internalizing the voices of, oh yeah. So now they're at school and you're not there. And you've been telling them that they've been helpful to the neighbors or to you or whatever. And then they can tell themselves in school, oh, but that's right, I'm helpful. So I'm gonna be helping this kid, right? I'm gonna be helping the teacher. So you help them internalize the voices of their strength and their capacities and their qualities and the things that they're doing so that they can start learning it for themselves. So that's called verbal encouragement, mirroring back what is happening without any judgment and very specifically, that is magic. It's kind of learning a new language when we're not used to it. For me, it was very awkward at first because it requires that you spend the time to actually notice and that you spend the time to say it. And it's long sentences because it's not like, you're great, you're the best, you're awesome, I love you, I'm so proud of you. You know, all of this is very generic and very short. It doesn't require a lot of effort. Saying, you know, you got up this morning and you made breakfast for all of us and that saved us so much time. And because of you and thanks to you, we were on time leaving the house this morning. I really appreciate that. That's a long sentence, right? So 
it, it takes a little bit of work. It's kind of a new language, but man, the benefits are huge. And you will know that you're successful at encouragement, at practicing encouragement when they start encouraging you back or when they start encouraging the cat or the dog in the house or whatever. You know, you will know that this is starting to become the lingo of the house. And kids who are encouraged, people, humans who are encouraged and who are being seen and acknowledged for who they are and what they do, um, they are taller. So a kid who's discouraged and a kid who is encouraged, a kid who's encouraged is like an inch taller because they stand up straight, because they are proud of themselves, because they know what they're capable of, because they know themselves, right? So that's one thing that you can do. Another encouragement technique requires a little bit of time, but it, it's called special time. And special time means spending a little bit of time every day between one adult and one child with a timer, say for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, doing what the child wants to do, not what you want to do, what they want to do. So it doesn't have to cost any money. It can be playing games. It can be preparing cookie dough. It can be walking the dog. It can be reading a book together. The only thing that's off limit is screens because screens is not something we do together. It's something that we do in parallel, right? So it's all about, and it's called special time because you are carving out 10 precious minutes of your day to give them your undivided attention and your curiosity and your willingness to do what they want to do, not what you want to do. And do you know how much in a child's life, especially in children's lives that haven't chosen their destiny? So they don't, their parents are not around. They're raised by the grandparents. Their dad has died, whatever, you know, those situations, they don't have a lot of say. They don't have a lot of say. So when you give them the gift of for 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day, do what they want to do. That's, an, that's really special. So that's why it's called special time. And again, it's special time is the universal antidote against misbehavior. So the, and, and so the thing you want to do is I'm not doing special time with you today because you were just, a, you know, you're just so rude to me and you're misbehaving. And you didn't do your homework and I'm not doing special time with you. No, no, no. It's the opposite the higher the misbehavior, the more you need special time. It's directly proportional. So you, you do special time, misbehavior goes down. You don't do special time, misbehavior goes up. It's like literally goes like that. It's miracle. And, and a lot of families that come to our parenting classes say, well, who has time for this? Especially if you're single parents, especially if you're grandparent, you're working, who has time for this, right? Well, you don't have to do it exactly every day if you can't, right? The, the key is to make it happen in your life somehow. It could be once a week, half an hour once a week. It can be twice a week. It doesn't matter. Just do it. If you do it, it will change your life and your kid's life, truly. So that's encouragement techniques. How, so, and you see how you make them feel significant. You make them feel significant with verbal encouragement because you're paying attention. You are paying attention. You're making the time to tell them they're worthy, they matter, you know, by, by, by noticing what they're doing day in and day out. You're giving, you're making them feel special and encouraged uh, and significant by giving them 10 minutes or 15 minutes of your time. That's huge, right? There's something else that's really important. And that is, how do you make people feel significant? Adler said that we are mentally healthy when we feel like we're contributing to. So how do we get the sense of significance and belonging? When we feel like we contribute to the group, okay? So that's how, by the way, it can be positive contribution or it can be negative contribution, right? So for example, that's how gangs happen. 
gangs happen because kids don't feel like they belong at home. So they go find another place of belonging and it just happens to be a gang. You know, it's not, it might not always be great. So how do we help the kids feel significant at home? We give them responsibilities, right? So in the beginning, when they're really small, we give them responsibilities of their own stuff, your room, your clothes, your toys, your homework, your, your relationship with school, right? We give them responsibility. We hand over the responsibility of their lives to them. And the sooner you understand that, the sooner you do that, the sooner you hand over responsibility to your kids for their own lives, the sooner you work yourself out of a job, which is kind of what we're supposed to be doing when we raise kids, right? It's really a job of planned obsolescence. We want them to be independent as fast as possible. So the sooner you start saying, you know, you... You decide how you want to dress today. You know, you decide. And they just, they come down with shorts and T-shirts and it's snowing outside. Let them. Let them figure it out for themselves. Let them figure it out for themselves. That's the best way to learn, right? So at first, you let them be responsible for their own stuff. And then slowly, when they grow and they start learning things, they can start contributing to the work of the family, to the work of the house, right? So just because they are kids and just because they are not necessarily in easy circumstances doesn't mean that they don't have something of significance to contribute to the household and to the family. And so a nine-year-old kid can do almost everything that an adult can do. And they can share the, the responsibility and the workload of the house, of the work of the house with you. And they should. And if they do, and when they do, they are mightily, mightily encouraged they feel great about themselves, right? And so I remember my kids coming home and saying, but it's not fair. Nobody else in my classroom makes their lunchboxes. Why do you make me do my lunchbox? That's not fair. You know, you- I just like had this conversation. Me. I'm going to call social services. You're abusing me, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, honey, I'm really sorry that, you know, not every household does the same thing. And I would be remiss and I would be not a good parent or a good grandparent if I did things for you that you can do for yourself, that's another Adlerian line, never do for a child what a child can do for themselves, never. You are stealing from them if you're doing for them what they can do for themselves. You are stealing their ability to do for themselves, their self-esteem, their ability to learn the skills that they need for life. You should not take away stuff that they can do for themselves, right? But I above love and beyond- quote. I love that. It's that's incredibly important with this group, because remember, we're a lot of grandparents and sometimes the line between grandparents and parents is one that's hard to walk. Right. So do we grandparents would love to spoil their children and send them back home and, and with our group, that's not the case. It's not how it works. So we're walking this very fine line and it would be so easy to overindulge or to over overcompensate when it's really important that the kids do some of these things for themselves when they can. Right. Guys, I'm loving this conversation, but we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. We'll be right back. And, and above and beyond that is, is, participate in the work of the house right because they're not just yeah. like pretty plant plants that need to be that need to be protected or or indulged or the thing that often happens is it's actually easier to do it ourselves especially if you're a grandparent right I mean you've done this once before you've raised your <laughs> kids they're out of the house you had a different plan now you've got little kids back in the house it's much easier to just like do the laundry yourself and do the meals yourself and and, and vacuum yourself and and you know even dress them and get them out of the house because it's fast it's better done it's perfect it's like according to your plan not 
And by doing this though, again, you're taking this away from them and they're not learning to contribute and they become the center of attention. They, they, they start thinking that they're incapable. They start internalizing the messages of, I, I can't, my, my, my grandparents don't think I can do this. You know, I can't do this myself. So therefore I must be incapable, right? And that is just an awful message, awful. And so let me give you another metaphoric example so that you know people, folks on the on the on your show can can understand how this works. So, oh, how this works is through family meetings. You have regular family meetings and you organize the work of the family through those meetings. So I could talk to you more about that if you want, but we used to already have family meetings before my husband died, and then he died. And so I sat down with the kids and thank God we had already, you know, we had already started those meetings. So my kids were kind of used to the lingo and how this worked. But I sat down with them and I'm sorry, I'm probably going to lose it. I always do when I talk about this. But I said, you know, there used to be four of us and now there's only three of us. And this guy who just left, he was a big guy. He was doing a lot of stuff. He was working and earning money, a lot of money for the family. And he was doing all the yard work and he was taking care of, you know, finances and computer stuff at the house. And now it's all on us. How do we redistribute the work now that's just the three of us, right? And my little one, my, my 10 year old at the time said, you know, mom, I'm like, a, I'm like, I'm going to be the man of the house. I'm going to be, uh, sorry, this is genderistic, but I'm going to be the one changing the bulbs and nailing the nails. And also I'm really good with technology. So I can be the one who does all the technology in the house. You can leave that up to me. And my older one who's 12 said, you know, mom, I'm just like really better in the house, like in the kitchen and stuff. So if I do some of the meals or if I do some of the cleaning, maybe that gives you more time. You can work more and you can earn more money right? And it took time to get to that point. It did take time, but, but it was so worth it. Do you know how worth it it was? Can you imagine? Oh, no. So it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect. You know, it wasn't always perfect, but it, it made a huge difference. And, and the biggest difference that it made is not so much that I had somebody changing bulbs or nailing nails or that sometimes I came home from work and the meal was made. I mean, that was huge, you can imagine, right? Yeah. And, and, and the meal was not always good, but it didn't matter. It's that, that I'm getting goosebumps. It was, it was made, you know, I didn't have to do it. But it was more how my kids felt in the process. It was how my kids felt in the process. They were, um, they were, responsible they were adults and and a lot of folks in our parenting classes would say well no you're abusing your kids your kids should be kids they need to not have worries and not have it's like i'm sorry that's not how life works and you know what they felt better they you should see how responsible they are today as young adults right they're so much so much more mature than most of their friends because they know how to do life they know life is tough they know they can handle tough they have the skills, the basic skills. They know how to scrub a toilet and how to make a meal and how to shop and, and, and you know, balance a budget because they learned all of this at home. And in learning it and practicing it at home in those tough circumstances, they are mentally healthy. They stayed mentally healthy through the process. They didn't fall apart because they had responsibility. You know, if it's your job to feed the pets in the morning, it's your job to feed the pets and you care about your pets. You have responsibility. You have a reason to get up. You have it's thinking outside of yourself. In right. a year in psychology, it's called social interest, and that's what keeps you mentally healthy. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the family meetings. What did your agenda look like? So you talked about that you distribute the family work at these family meetings. What else did you do in your family meetings? 
Yeah, and actually that is the last thing you want to do. So the real purpose of a family meeting is encouragement. Remember, encouragement is the magic pill. So the real purpose of a family meeting and how you should, every family should always start first by establishing the family meeting as a regular ongoing thing by doing making it just an encouragement council in the beginning. So you talk to the kids and you say, okay, I've learned this thing, it's awesome. We're gonna start a weekly meeting. Um, and we, when, so you ask the kids, you start by involving them. When should we do it? Okay, let's agree to do it Sunday morning after breakfast. Um, how long should we do it for? 10 minutes or 20 minutes? Okay, let's do 15, we agree on 15 minutes. Um, and, and then during that meeting, you start with mutual appreciations. You don't ever force anybody to come because you can't. So you don't want it to become a battle. But when you start doing it, even if it's one grandparent, one child, and it's just you sitting at the table, you just sit there, you put your timer on for 15 minutes, they decided not to come and you appreciate yourself out loud, you know, and the kid is noticing, they might be in their room and stuff, but they're noticing you doing this. And eventually, because what do they want? They want a sense of belonging eventually they're going to show up one time they're going to show up and then you're going to appreciate them for something. I appreciated you this week when you helped me bring in the groceries or appreciated playing and reading with you last night. I appreciate you because you're in my life and you make my life better. Right. And they appreciate you then. And they, they say, you know, thank you for taking care of me when mom and dad can't or whatever, you know, thank you for taking me to school every day. Thank you for helping me with my math homework. And so that's what, that's the core of, at the beginning, that's what you need to establish is this feel good. And you make it a business meeting uh, in the beginning when you just do appreciations by just looking at the calendar for the week. So you, you look at the calendar. So when do you have soccer practice? When do I have to drive you where? You know, I have a meeting that day. So I'm going to be, we need to leave a little bit early for school. Is that okay with you? You know, so you do the calendar and that's how you make it kind of like a formal business meeting, which by the way, kids love they're now business, important business people. They have a business <laughs> meeting every week. And, and then when you have this established after a few months and they always come and they love it. And when you forget it, they are the one who remind you because they love the appreciation part of it so much. Then after a few months, you can start bringing in the actual work of the family. So how do we, how do we organize, you know, what are the tasks of the family? What are the tasks of the house? That, and so you brainstorm with the kids, what is everything that needs to get, to get done in the house? And then you do a second list with them of what are some of the things that we can share? And then you, and then you start talking about how are we going to share it? Like, how do we get that sharing organized? And then you talk about the really critical thing is, okay, so now we've got a system every week. Um, well, you, you folks are not going to see it, but in my house, we had, my kids had made rotating plates. So there were three names of the plates and then three jobs on the other or series of jobs on the other plate. And every week we would rotate the inner plates and it would line up with a name. It would be like pet, pet care. And it would be like doing the dishes and it would be, you know, cleaning the toilets or, or, or making cleaning. And we would rotate it every week and every, every week somebody would change. They came up with that process. They did the plates. I didn't do any part of that. <laughs> right. And, uh, but, but they, so they helped me come up with what are the jobs that we can share, you know, and how do we organize the sharing? And then you talk about that critical thing is, okay, so this week, Suzanne's supposed to be taking care of, of the pets in the house. What do we do if she forgets? What do we do if the person who is responsible for a job actually doesn't do the job? Right. Right. And you, and you discuss the consequences of the job not happening and it doesn't have to be punitive. It just has to be the pets need to get fed the dishes need to be washed, you know, whatever the table needs to be set. So whatever that job is, 
And if you involve the kids also in the discussion about the consequences, it will blow your mind what they come up with. It will blow your mind. They are so <laughs> creative. They're so creative and they're so, they want to contribute. Remember, they want to contribute because they want to belong. They want to feel significant. So they will show up to the table and they will participate. It might take a while, the transition into this style of parenting, which is not you know, what everybody does naturally, necessarily, it takes a while for the kids to learn this new style, but it feeds them so much. It is so respectful. And so it's building people. It's so encouraging that they want to, and they will participate eventually. You just have to stick with it and believe in it, but just start with a verbal encouragement, maybe the special time, and you're going to start seeing a shift in willingness to cooperate, cooperate, because they are encouraged. They feel good about themselves. I love this philosophy of the family meeting. We have, Lily and I do one-on-ones regularly, almost daily um, in our household, but we, I've never established a family meeting. I somehow just the two of us, it didn't feel like that, yeah. you know what I mean? But we, we should mm-hmm. absolutely do that. And I, I truly am going to take this, this idea and implement in the house because it's just another way for me to acknowledge and encourage Lillian. Like for me, that feels so right to do. And these other things are just a bonus. <laughs> they come with exactly. the meeting. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and the other thing that we did in our meeting, so, you know, we teach this class at PEP. We used to teach this, this family meeting class. And, uh, um, and then we tell families, every family then does it a little bit differently and incorporates things that works for them. And it usually comes from the kids. And so one of the things that ha- ended up happening and in, in, in being built into our family meetings was after we did appreciations, we did uh, one thing that you're sad about this week and one thing that you're happy mm-hmm. about this week. And my husband was a funny guy. And so he called it had and sappy. So what are you had and sappy about this week? And we wrote it all down, by the way, there's also roles at the meeting. So you have the chair of the meeting, the secretary of the meeting, and you also rotate the role so that it's not always the parents who are the boss of the meeting but also the kids learn how to be the same you know it's like pretty serious stuff pretty pretty important stuff and so um when we talked about had and sappy uh it was a fantastic way of having kids you know of having everybody in the family really share about what was really going on with them and what they were i'm gonna cry oh but it was, it, you know, it, that's what's got my, my husband, who was a senior executive in a company, said when I introduced family meetings, he said, I'm sorry, I'm doing meetings all week long. I'm not coming to meetings in my, in my home. I'm not doing that. So I started doing it. So then I thought, oh, what, geez, what do I do? And my, my PEP folks, my, my teachers at PEP said, just do it anyway with the kids and watch what happens. And then eventually one day he, he saw it happening. He saw what the change it made in the family. And then he started happening. And um and when, when people said what they were had, sad and happy, had and sad, sad and sad and happy about, he cried. I, it's the first time I ever saw him cry and also appreciate when the kids appreciated him. And when he died and we were able to just process, you know, the, and so this is a, a, this is a therapeutic place too. So for those kids to be able to have a, a forum where they can say, it sucks that mom and dad, whatever, whatever, I don't know what the circumstances are, you know, and I, mm-hmm. but to be able to say it and have a place where you just, you can just say it, you know, it doesn't have to be very long, but it's just, that is also therapeutic, you know? Oh, absolutely. I love that. Let's switch gears a little bit. I, I, you have so many offerings on your website. And one of the things that this actually caught my eye and I, I was looking on your blog. So this caught my eye and I thought how appropriate for our listeners, the title of this particular blog post is keep calm and carry on. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that for my group, at least for me, I call out things, right, that I know where are areas that I can improve. I tend not to have the patience that maybe I had 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I was raising my children. And mm-hmm. so this sort of caught my, just even by title, it caught my eye and I dug in a little bit. Do you want to mm-hmm. speak to, I, I mean, we'll dig into what you offer, but I, I just love some of the thought process keep calm and carry on. And I think maybe that's something our listeners um, could benefit from. The, the, the thing that I want to say about that, and, and actually my last newsletter that I just uh, sent out last week was, was about kind of similar topic, which is that when life is rough, when we are going through challenges, when, you know, just when stuff hits the fan, we go, it's completely natural human reaction. We go into fight, flight or freeze mode. Right. So we and when we do that, we are not no longer our best thinking, rational human selves. Uh, basically, our, we, we do this like this. Our brains flip when 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 something happens, a catastrophe. So let's take an extreme example that you get into a car accident. Right. You, I don't know if, any, if you or your listeners have gone into uh, gotten it. I hope not. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about, which is that moment where the car accident happened. And, and for, for a split second, you don't know if you're going to survive or not. And uh, so in that moment, your brain flips and you go into this fight or flight or freeze mode, which is that you go back to your bare, you know, animal instincts almost on how do I stay alive in this second. But here's the the kicker about the brain is you can be either in survival mode, which is completely emotional and reactive, or you can be in rational thinking mode, which is the prefrontal cortex, which is the brain that's right behind our eyes, right? You can be in one all the other, but not both at the same time. And so here's the problem is you're in the middle of a big power struggle with the kids, right? They, you come home and it's like, what is this mess? How many times have we talked about this? Like there is stuff everywhere. We have had this conversation this past weekend about putting your shoes away and your coat away and putting your clothes and, and, and your homework, you're on your screens again. How about your homework? Like, and, and I feel like so disgusted. I feel so abused. Like I'm taking care of you. I shouldn't be taking care of you. And I'm right. You're flipped. Your brain is completely flipped. And the kid says, well, you know, I do whatever I want and you can't make me do this. And they get, you know, so they get into the fight with you. And so now you both, both of you have your brains flipped. You're both in fight, flight or freeze mode. Nobody's rational. Nobody's problem solving. Nobody is staying calm. And so the thing about uh, what you need to do in those moments as the adult in the room is you need to, I'm sorry, I'm going to be tough. You need to get a grip. (laughs) You need to, you need to realize that you're flipped out. You need to realize that as you, you need to remember this, this conversation and remember that when you're flipped out, nothing good is going to come out of it. Nothing except regrets and hurt relationships and, but nothing, no learning, no solving the problem, nothing. So you go in the other room, you go to the bathroom, the toilet, you lock yourself up, you go walk, take a walk around the house or whatever. And you just take deep breath because that is the way to calm your brain down. You take deep breath. You realize that's going on. You say, okay, I'm choosing not to get into this, not to continue. I realize I'm out of control. I'm going to go get back in control. So I'm going to go calm myself down, take deep breath. It doesn't have to take long. Three to five deep breath is, is all it takes to start getting the brain back in gear, the thinking brain back in gear. And then you can solve problems and then you can address the situation. Then you're calm, right? And so 
this is really the essence of everything in life is like we have most people don't know this but we actually so if you go to the class on anger management people usually say well i couldn't help it i just like lost it right no 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 you could help it you chose to lose it we actually have a choice we have control over our brains but it happens so fast most people typically by now have hung up the phone or are not listening to your show anymore because nobody <laughs> likes to hear that Nobody likes to hear that they're in fact in control and that they have a choice. It's much easier to allow yourself to just let go. It's much easier to flip out. It's, it takes much more courage to decide not to realize that you're flipping out, to say, I'm not doing this. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go the high road, I'm not going down the, that path. I'm going down the high road. I'm going to go take a chill pill, calm myself down. I'm going to come back. I'm going to apologize for flipping out to the child because this is great modeling and great teaching. And then I'm gonna to try to solve the problem with them and have a meeting with them and talk about how we can solve this problem. Pascal, I love this train of thought because this is exactly, exactly the concept I think about when I talk so much about bringing joy into our lives because it is a choice, right? We have, we have a choice to go down this path of incredible hurt and sadness and whatever energy comes out of that or we can choose to take the joyful route. We can choose to look at everything that's happening in the day-to-day, find that nugget of joy, and that's where we live. That's where we stay. That's what brings us the energy. But I, I wholeheartedly believe that's a choice. So I love the direction that conversation went. Okay, can I <laughs> want to just give your listeners one tip, one thing to try <laughs> right now. They can try it right now. I do it in my webinars and in my presentations all the time. You can trick your brain into feeling an emotion it doesn't feel by just how you put your face. So if your listeners just want to do this with you and I right now, it's just, I close my eyes because that way I don't see myself being ridiculous. Uh, Just put your face in neutral and now put a smile on your face. And as you put your smile on your face, so you bring the two corners of your mouth up and you smile with your face, try to notice how your, what changes inside of your body. Feel how your physical sensations change as you smile. So you can change your biochemistry by simply putting the mask of a smile on your face. So when all else fails and you have your whole family, everything is just falling apart. You just remember this moment that we are just talking about right now and just put a smile on your face. And it changes your biochemistry and now you're you're a different human as a result of just putting an artificial mask of, of smile. And it's catching. It's contagious. That it is. Well, thank you so much for all of your wonderful tips today. Pascal, how do people get a hold of you? What are you offering? What can we share with them so that they can connect with you further? Very simple. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a life coach. I'm a parent educator. I'm a parent coach. So they go to my website, which is www.thechallengecoach.com, thechallengecoach.com. And you have everything you need on there. You can contact me. You can write to me. There's my email address, phone numbers. Um, a contact form. You, th- there's a calendar. You can book a, a sample session, a free sample session. So anybody wants to try on coaching, there's a 30 minute free sample session. There's a 15 minute free get acquainted phone call. Anybody has any questions, there's links to PEP, the parent encouragement program. If anybody wants to uh, take parenting classes, their website is pepparent, P-E-P parent.org. 
and there's online classes there that are a lot of free, free, free webinars, a lot of free webinars about parenting. Um, so you can find a lot of that information that we talked about there. A lot of it for free. There's also master classes. All of it is pretty affordable. Um, so that's that's it. Very simple, fairly simple and wonderful. And we will put the links and all of those notes in the show notes as well, so that folks can find you. I so appreciate your time today. Any closing thoughts? Well, I just want to say before I forget, Laura, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure and uh, I'll come back anytime because as you can tell, I love talking and I have so much to share. So if you want like a parenting class, I'd be happy to do a free parenting show one day, just more specific about stuff. Uh, but closing thoughts is, um, you know, life's tough. Life is tough and life is really short. And I know that because my husband died when it was, that was not what I had signed up for. When I said for better or for worse, I didn't plan for it to be only 16 years. So life is tough and life is short. How do you want to choose to live it? You know, and, 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 and really the closing thought is right here, right now, in this minute, in this moment, things are okay. Right here, right now, in this moment, things are okay. And life is worth living. So give that gift to the people around you, to the children that you're raising, no matter what the circumstances, give them that gift to model that, to model that so that they can grow up to be the best human beings that they can be, so that they don't reproduce whatever stuff has happened to them, you know, so that they do it better, right? And and you and there is joy in the process if you choose that, if you, like you said earlier, right? Right here, right now, in this moment, things are okay. Thank you so much. As you can see, what a blessing to be blessed by Pascal's presence on the show today. Her experiences from personal childhood illness to parental divorce and blended families, from a seriously ill child to a spouse who suffered with and died of cancer, from extradition to immigration, from being a corporate executive to being out of work and eventually starting her own small business. Pascal truly blessed us with her presence today. According to her, life throws us challenges when we very least expect them. The better prepared we are to handle them, the better we can deal with those life challenges. Through her life training, she is well equipped to deal with whatever life throws her way next, and she is ready to help any of us. I hope you will check out her links in the show notes and take a look at how Pascal is showing up in the world.